The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. Our guest today, Mike Trudell, Managing Director of BlackRock, Head of Global Products. Mike, pleasure to have you with us today. We've been living in some crazy times over the last six months of the year. Uh, welcome. It's good to see you. Frank, uh, great to see you as always, and uh, thanks for having us back. The last time we had a conversation, it's been you know probably five or six months, and mm-hmm. a lot's gone on in the world since then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the headlines been inflation and so forth. And I know with regard to BlackRock and you know their size and you know their abilities and their research with regard to Aladdin and everything else, you sometimes through BlackRock see things in the world a little different than the consumer might. You know, mm-hmm. the consumer. They're going to get gas and they're like, wow, I'm paying a lot more. They're going to get food, they're paying a lot more. And so we can start to have kind of that feel that it's you know more pessimistic. The markets have been pretty volatile. Mm-hmm. So maybe just starting by, you know, what's you know the view of you know, how are you guys seeing things? Um, you know, are we still in the beginning of this volatility? Would you say we're in the middle or we say we're at the end? And I know nobody has a crystal ball. But when we look at where we were six months or seven months ago to where we are today, people start to wonder and say, when is this going to be, when are we going to be through it? So let's start with, you know, where do they see where we are at this time? So I think there was a famous quote by Winston Churchill who said, it's not the beginning of the end, but uh, it's possibly the end of the beginning. And uh, I think he was obviously referring to the effort in World War II. And I think for us, as it relates to the inflation, the inflationary environment that we've been experiencing, our view is unquestionably we've seen the worst of the acceleration. And as we head into the back half of the year, we do think that the news on inflation is going to marginally continue to improve. There are going to be pockets of the economy where inflation is likely to remain sticky. Food and energy, unfortunately, are going to be part of those, as probably will be housing. But even there, we do not expect the price, the rate of price increases that we've experienced previously. The second thing that I would say is there are going to be parts of the economy that are going to exhibit signs of downright deflation. And you may be thinking, and your audience may be thinking, how, with all this price increase, are we going to have inflation? A deflation. The answer is, if we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things that was notable was that companies could not get enough inventory in stock. The government, through both monetary and fiscal policy, provided people with the means to go out and purchase things that they needed. The travel was very limited. And so what we found was consumer behavior shifted away from services to goods. People bought things for their homes. They reinvested in things like uh, home electronics because many, many people were working from home. And for many of those companies, they've spent the better part of the last 12 to 15 months working on their supply chains and making sure that they had enough inventory. Well, lo and behold, in the last three or four months, or since the last time we talked, oil prices have more than gone up 40%, and people are spending more on things like gasoline, and we'll talk a little bit, hopefully, in how food inflation translates into uh, from energy into food. But the point is, now these corporations have built up a lot of this inventory, and consumer dis- discretionary spending is going elsewhere. So many of these companies now have built their inventories back up, not in every single part of the economy, but in a number of them, we're going to start to see them cutting their prices 
just so they can clear this inventory. So when the government releases its inflation data, it's done on an aggregated basis, and it's going to include everything from food and gas and used and new cars to things like furniture, home electronics. Those latter categories, I think you're probably seeing all the price increases we're going to have, and I would actually expect those are start, going to start to come down. So the good news is, I think, for people as they think about the total amount of discretionary spending that they have that's impacted by inflation, yes, they're still going to see it when they fill up at the pump. But there are going to be other areas that they're going to get breaks from that they, they may not see or touch every day, but they'll definitely be, they'll be out there. And that will help improve the, the economic environment that we will be operating in. That's our view. And then the other side of that, too, is, you know, we've seen, you know, interest rates rise pretty significantly since the beginning of the year. And even though I say pretty significantly, you know, when they've gone from one to, you know, three. Right. And people look, they go, oh, it's only two. Well, it, it, proportionally, it's, it's a lot. And, yes. you know, all of a sudden we went from mortgage rates of two and a half and threes uh, to now we're in the mid fives. And so the housing market may get a little cooler, but nobody has a crystal ball. All of this kind of builds into how the consumer feels. Mm -hmm. And so when they say, wow, consumers are really pessimistic right now about things, you know, and you and I were talking about a little bit earlier. You know, it's because it's that immediate, you know, I felt it at the tank, I felt it in the food store, and there's a psychological impact that goes along with that. There's no question. And for a lot of consumers, what sometimes can happen, and we've seen what's a really strange thing, and if I, if I can say anything to your audience that I hope helps, if they remember anything from our conversation, from, from this sit down, is this, if we survived the pandemic, we will definitely survive the reopening. A lot of the things that you highlighted on the margin, people feel worse because, as you said, when they go to the, fill up their tanks or they go to the grocery store, it's more painful. For people that are first-time home buyers, not only have they seen prices move, in many cases out of reach, but what they would have to pay for the mortgage to acquire that home that they would like to have has really been made very, very difficult. I think it's important to understand, however, and I can't emphasize this enough. Before we entered this period, many American households in the aggregate were in the best shape that the country's been in in the post-World War II era. So we were starting from a very, very high point in terms of wealth, in terms of income. If you look, for example, at the unemployment rate in the United States, it's inarguable. It's at one of the lowest points in the last 50 years. Uh, people have jobs. People have pricing power. And so as a result, while we realize that on the margin, uh, people don't like paying more for gas, none of us do. Um, what I would say to you is a lot of the price increases that we've seen, what we would call in the industry as the change in the price or the delta, it's not going to accelerate from here. If anything, it's going to start to slow. We've even seen in the last month, oil prices have come down oh, yeah. considerably. We went from almost $5 a gallon you know, by so locally to now we're four fifty. That's exactly so we're seeing right. some of that. Prior to that, the trajectory was just every week constant uh, increases. So I think the good news for all of us is as painful as this transition has been, you're going to get to a point in the back half of the year, the economy is likely, in our opinion, to stay out of recession, but it is going to slow. And as that happens, you should see prices stabilize. And hopefully, we should see less and less media coverage of uh, the, the rate at which, which with which rates are rising to uh, the conversation shifting to the Fed has done a lot of work to rein some of this inflation in. So you mentioned the R word, recession. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, some of us that have been around for a while, mm -hmm. you know, remember back in the financial crisis, we remember, you know, dot com, and we remember those types. But, you know, what you just said was a couple of key things with regard to, you know, where's the consumer today? Where's unemployment? And even if, you know, we think in terms of recession, um, it, I don't think people think it looks like that. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, uh, I know that you've been in this industry a long time, uh, longer than me, but I've been around a long time. Uh, and I remember what the U.S. economy was like in the 1970s. And I remember what it was like when the U.S. went to war uh, uh, in Iraq back in 2000. And, you know, you think about some of these things and you try to put it into context and say, you know, there's a war in Ukraine and we know oil prices have gone up because Russian production has come down. I remember when Saddam Hussein basically threatened that he was going to light up all the oil fields in the Middle East on fire, certainly in Kuwait, maybe in Iraq. I mean, that's a kind of situation where you could see oil prices triple overnight. We're not dealing with that. Um, we're dealing with a situation where we think that um, while growth is likely to slow, we don't think it's going to go into a recession. And as you alluded to, there are different degrees of economic contraction. Our view uh, on our team at BlackRock is uh, we're not going to have one, but if we do, it's likely to be very, very mild. And the reason for this is if you look at how economic growth is measured, it's GDP, it's gross domestic product. There's a formula for it. The biggest compensation for GDP for the United States is consumer spending. It's 70%. And if you look at the consumer, as you so aptly pointed out, people aren't feeling great. But as we would know, you know, we came into this environment with consumers in better shape than they've been since the World War II era. If I contrast that with 2007, 2008, that was an environment where people had borrowed heavily against their homes. They saw the equity values of those homes contract substantially. They were over levered in terms of their credit cards. That's an economy where it was impossible for consumption to be maintained because credit was getting withdrawn very, very rapidly. What I want to emphasize to everybody in the call is the housing market in the United States is in very strong shape. Consumers aren't overlevered. People aren't massively losing their jobs. As a matter of fact, the most recent job data that came out two Fridays ago indicates continued strength. So it's hard to have a really bad recession if you're in an environment where there's still a number of industries out there that are starving to hire people. The hotel and restaurant industry, I would put at the top of the list for anybody that's traveling this summer, as we often say, you speak to a hotel, ask if there's a reservation, they'll say, no, we're fully booked. That doesn't mean they're at 100% occupancy. They're at 60% occupancy. They can't hire enough staff to meet all the demand. To us, that's not a recession. So it's a great insight because, you know, when people are putting on the television and they're catching the headline news, I mean, if I watched that enough, I'd be depressed, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of fear, you know, that they're talking about and you've got that going on. Well, there's a lot to the idea that, you know, I hate to say it this way, but um, when I when I was growing up and I know you were, you know, we got our news at certain times of the day. It was usually after dinner for local and national news. And now, unfortunately, we live in a media environment where it's not just cable news, but it's the Internet and it's constant. And you got to remember, these people are after advertising dollars. And so what catches eyeballs is things that either make people emotional to whatever they're saying. And a lot of times, since there's not a lot of other things going on, those are the exact things that they focus on. 
we just want to take a step back and just look at the data. And when we look at the data, we say, yeah, no question that we've seen prices increase. Some of this was not foreseen by the, the war in Europe. Uh, but having said that, as I said at the beginning, if we survived that pandemic, where if you go back and we think about where we were, we didn't have vaccines. Uh, we didn't have a capability to cope with it. We didn't know how substantial it was going to be. We had no treatments. So now we're in an area where, yes, there's different forms of, of, of COVID. But the point is, is that on a going forward basis, we think it's, everything's much more manageable than we were two or three years ago. And as the economy continues to reopen, yeah, there's been definitely bumps along the way as the Fed has removed some of that accommodation that they've provided to us. But we think it's not the same situation as some of the recessions that we've all lived through in the past, much more mild, even if we have one. So, so you know, in all of your portfolios, uh, you have the ability to be risk on, you have the ability to be risk off. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they can add, you know, more towards equities, they can take less of equities and so forth. In most of the portfolios, where do they stand now? Because with your research and everything else that you have, which is, I mean, you guys are one of the, you know, the biggest players in the research area with Aladdin and everything else is, you know, are you risk on or are you risk off? Where are you? So for our portfolios, the, the basic asset classes that we deal with are stocks and bonds. And there'll be some subtleties within each of those major asset classes, but those are the major ones. Our view coming into the year was we were much more negative actually on fixed income assets than equities. And the reason is we knew that this was going to be a transition year for the Fed and that the Fed was going to have to raise rates. And as many of your listeners know, generally speaking, for most forms of fixed income, when interest rates rise, the value of the bond comes down. For equities, the interesting thing is sometimes equities can perform well even if rates are rising because it's indicative of a strong economy. What's tripped up the equity market this year is although rates have been rising, they've been gapping higher. When interest rates accelerate too quickly, it makes equity investors nervous because the outlook gets cloudy. It's the uncertainty. It's the uncertainty, that's exactly right. And so as we move forward, our view is, again, because we don't think that the US is gonna experience a recession, in terms of equities, we're pretty neutral relative to our benchmarks. We do see some volatility continuing. And the reason for that is the Fed's work isn't done. And until the Fed is done with this rate hike cycle, the clarity that people want to have isn't going to be there for them. So we need to get through this. We do anticipate they're going to raise 75 basis points in September. No meeting in August. They'll probably go another 50 in September. After that, our view is the Fed's probably going to take a pause and evaluate what the, the rate impact is going to have this is a subtle but important point for a lot of our listeners the market anticipates when rates are going to rise but a lot of times the true impact on the economy may not happen for six or eight or nine months after a rate increase markets are usually a projection of the future, future. and we always tell everybody that but it's hard in the moment for them to really grasp that you know they're it's already baked into the cake nine times out of ten like the july coming up and then what they'll do in september that's exactly but correct a lot of that's already baked into the cake that's exactly correct so we do acknowledge that there are risks having said that i want to give people an understanding of why we're not underweight equities and the answers are if the u.s doesn't experience a recession or if it's a mild recession 
what that's likely to mean is that profits are not going to be materially impacted. I'm not saying that in this reporting season, there are always companies that underperform or do worse than what people thought. Some will do better. But in the aggregate, we still think nominal GDP this year is going to grow at 8%. What that means is corporate revenues are likely to remain pretty healthy. The other thing we need to remember is a lot has been priced in. Equity markets, as everybody knows, have had a really tough year. So investors have already, shall I say, assumed, maybe not the worst, but they're not assuming a lot of optimistic things. You could get into an environment in the second quarter, CEOs and CFOs are not likely to project incredible upside, but I think people are gonna go into this earnings season so pessimistic about what they're gonna hear Stocks could actually do reasonably well just because the companies may say, well, things aren't rosy, but they're not as bad as people were projecting based on where our, how our stocks have done. And then with regard to, you know, because all the portfolios for the most part have bonds because nobody was parking their money in cash because That's cash exactly. paid nothing. <laughs> so what has occurred on the bond side in order to help minimize some of the volatility that you have there? Is they shorten durations? What have they done? So we have, I mean, we came into the year, if you looked at duration, which for a lot of people in the industry, that, that word doesn't mean anything. Duration is a measure of interest rate sensitivity. In other words, when rates are rising, you don't want to have a lot of duration exposure because it implies that the price of your bond could go down. Because we felt coming into the year that rates were likely to rise, in other words, the Fed was in a transition year, we really took down our duration, our interest rate sensitivity, just our overall bond exposure has been very, very low. So our benchmarks have different levels of bonds depending on the risk profile, and therefore they'll have different durations or different interest rate sensitivities. What I want to express to the audience is we were less than half the benchmark weight in duration for much of the year. And so we really tried to protect. Again, our view was the economy was gonna be okay. Stocks were generally gonna be you know, okay, but fixed income was not gonna be a place where we wanted to be. And one of the reasons why I think our portfolios have done better than our benchmarks has been that view on rates that has been, that has been correct. Over time, what you may start to see is now that rates have moved back up, we don't need to take such an extreme position in terms of hating duration. You move with price. And so I would expect as the year goes on, and I think if anything that clients take from this, if you are a traditional investor and you get your investment exposure in both equities and fixed income, for the first time in many, many years, fixed income actually gives you a, a reasonable shake as an investor. In other words, yields now have climbed so much that you actually earn something on your money. Investment grade bonds in the US, they pay right now about the yield to worst is 4.7, If we had done this conversation 18 months ago, they were paying one. High yield, they're, they're paying eight and a half. If you and I were having this conversation 18 months ago, they were paying less than four. So when, I would encourage investors, if you're putting a dollar to work today, equities are reasonably priced, and bonds for the first time in decades actually give you a fair shake. And it's a, it's a great perspective, you know, and I, I asked that question for a reason, which is, you know, some people think, oh, I've got a balanced portfolio. I shouldn't have saw, you know, they should have been like non-correlated. 
And this is one of those few times where it's like, nah, they both were down for the first six months of this year. And it's, you know, it's in that rising tide, everything going up, lower tide, they're all going down. But there have been things that, you know, you've been doing in the portfolios or BlackRock has been to help mitigate some of that volatility by shortening up duration and recognizing that, hey, you can't be totally risk off. You're going to always have some element of risk in the portfolios. And the return they get is the compensation for the risk that we get, which we never like to think about, but it's the reality. Frank, I know that you are a long-term investor. I know that that's what you preach to your clients, uh, and they should be long-term investors. And you're 100% right that over very, very long cycles, bonds, particularly U.S. government bonds, don't tend to move in terms of lockstep, in terms of price with stocks. So they're good, as we would call in our industry, they're good diversifiers. They spread the risk. Hopefully over the long term, they also spread the wealth. Uh, The first six months of this year were a very unusual environment where both traditional government bonds and stocks fell together. Now, a lot of people forget at the start of the pandemic, they rose together. And that's because the Fed had to take emergency measures in order to keep the economy moving forward as things were shutting down, forced to shut down because of the pandemic. As we continue to move on, the words I want to get out to folks is that policy is normalizing. We are moving and we've already moved in the the post-pandemic stage. So what people should be expecting going forward are those traditional relationships now should start to be coming back together. More and more normalized. More and more normalized, where diversification is helpful. But really importantly, I think, as I said, just from an absolute basis, let's say all you had to invest in in this world were fixed income. Let's say equity wasn't a choice. I would have said if you go back since 2008, since the financial crisis, yields have been artificially low. And for the first time in a number of these areas of fixed income, you can get a decent amount of yield for the amount of risk you're taking. Again, in an economy that we do not think is going to go into a recession, uh, especially for corporate bonds, that's a really, really good backdrop. And, you know, one of the things as we're wrapping up is in the reality is, is that you know, our clients are not traders. You know, we're not here trading. You know, we're, we're looking at things over, you know, three years, five years, 10 years. And when we look at what history tells us about volatility, we look at, hey, even the R word, if it was a recession. And when I, you know, listen to everybody that's out, we look at all the data and so forth. And God willing, it's, we don't have one or it's very mild, like it sounds and so forth if we did. Um, the reality is, is if we look three years, five years and so forth is things tend to normalize and get better. It, it, it just works its way through the system and the, you know, the markets adjust. I think that's exactly right. And I try to remind everybody, people all look at the year to date performance of whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, and I, I, try to, I try to say to people, well, I wish I, if I had a dollar for all the people that actually put money to work on January 1st, I don't actually think I'd have that much money. The point is, is that people come into the market at all different times in all different seasons of the economy. And the best advice I can possibly give them is have a plan, stay consistent, dollar cost average. And if you measured how you did over a three year period, let's say, uh, over and over and over and over again. What's going to happen is you're going to see your returns start to move toward the average return. Got so it. there's going to be periods like we've gone through the last six months that haven't been fun. But I got to remind people: the three years prior to that, the S and P was up over 20 percent for each of the, the each of the 12 month periods. That's also highly unusual. Average it out. Keep your batting average. 
keep dollar cost averaging. I would say to you, if we're thinking about, and I'm always trying to look toward the future, again, with what we're getting paid on bonds and where equity valuations are, if you're dollar cost averaging in today, the environment looks a lot better than what it did 18 months ago. Well, you weren't getting compensated for your bonds and stocks as an asset class in terms of what we pay in terms of multiples was a lot higher than what we're paying for those multiples today. That's great insight. So for all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This has been Frank Congelos and Mike Trudell, BlackRock. We thank you for being with us. And you know, our objective is to just keep you in the know, keep you with good information so that, you, you know, I always say is fear is false events appearing real. By you having insight and uh, knowing what's going on, hopefully it gives you more confidence so that as we go through this cycle and we go through the process, which is part of an economic cycle, um, things will tend to get back to where they were. And, you know, we wish you all a great summer. Enjoy the rest and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you and have a great day. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is a direct, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or CNA Financial Group, and opinions stated are their own. Diversification does not guarantee profit or protect against market loss. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Investing in the bond market is subject to certain risks, including market, interest rate, issuer, credit, and inflation risk. Equities may decline in value due to both real and perceived general market, economic, and industry condition. Investing in foreign securities may involve heightened risk, including currency fluctuation, less liquid trading markets, greater price volatility, political and economic instability, less publicly available information, and changes in tax or currency laws. Such risks may be enhanced in emerging markets. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Data and rates used were indicative of market conditions as of the date shown. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends are based on the current market conditions and are subject to change without notice. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. S&P 500 Index is a market index generally considered representative of the stock market as a whole. The index focuses on the large cap segment of the U.S. equities market. Indices are unmanaged and one cannot invest directly. 2022-141-341